some have called him a right-wing philosopher. Some say that he's in favor of bringing back a monarchy. Well, that's an interesting cat. That's Curtis Yarvin, and we're gonna talk to him right now. And we'll find out for ourselves. So Curtis used to be known as Mencius Moldbug on his old blog, Unqualified Reservations. But he is now at Gray Mirror, that's his own Substack. Curtis, welcome. All right, it's a pleasure to be on your show, on your show, Jenk. All right, God bless. Uh, so ironic. Uh, first, uh, let's start with uh, why you've been in the news recently. So, um, folks like Peter Thiel, who's a right-wing billionaire uh, in Silicon Valley, Blake Masters, who's running for Senate in Arizona, and J.D. Vance, running for Senate in Ohio, have praised you, have uh, mentioned your work, uh, and and there's been um, reports that you guys hang out. So. Um, let's just discuss that for a second, then we'll get to your ideas. I'm super curious to see if you really do believe in a monarchy, etc., and why. Uh, but uh, is it true? Are, are you? I don't know how you would characterize yourself. Are you uh, friends do, with do those I guys? Do I hang out? I mean, um, you know, have I? Yeah, I've met. I've met them. Um, I'm very sure that I believe many things that they don't believe in. Um, I would say these are people with very open and broad. Minds, and um, you know, I'd like to think that uh, any of them would be happy to come on the Young Turks. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but um, you know, I, I, I'm super into just you know, taking a lot of the dialogue between people who are not necessarily fans of the way things work now, and kind of synthesizing those things into kind of new perspectives. Yeah, well, look, we'd love to have him on. I am not as hopeful at the opportunity. I'm obviously not. I'm obviously not. not I don't speak for them. Yeah, I hear you. I and, think it'd be a great idea. And, um, and Curtis, um, is it fair but, to say? Uh, but yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Uh, no, no. Go ahead. Is it fair to yeah, say? Yeah. Is it fair to say? Look, you've met them. They've quoted you positively, but that doesn't mean you speak for them or they speak for you. You're both individuals. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Absolutely. And because absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so that's 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 fair. And the mainstream media loves to do smear by association. Uh, so I just want to be clear about that. But at the same time, it's not like they're lying. They didn't make it up. That you guys have talked. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. That's exactly right. That's that's very that's very fair of you, Chink. All right. I think no. that's exactly the way to, to talk about that. Um, okay. Do you want to talk about monarchy? Can we yeah, get to monarchy? Yeah, do. I do. In fact, there's. I disagree with you on almost everything except one giant thing that I do agree on. We're going to get to that in a second. But is monarchy fair? Is it fair to say this, as the press has been saying well, that you're in favor of a monarchy. Yes, it's definitely fair. And and you know, but the thing is you have to use the word monarchy in the right way um, and literally just use it in its meaning as like um, you know, the rule of one. And so I think for most of the young Turks audience, you know, when they think of monarchy in that sense, they probably go straight to Hitler, maybe Henry VIII, uh, you know, Mussolini, right? That's that's sort of their picture of the rule of one, and um, it's certainly true that those those people, you know, existed, you know, basically as described. But I think as an American, and especially as a blue state American, proud brown graduate here, uh, you know, New York Jew. Um, uh, I think that the right person to think of when you think of an American monarch is to think of FDR. Hmm. And when you're looking at FDR, you're looking at someone who really was effectively the CEO of Washington DC. I mean, there were you know little stubborn pockets of like old guard resistance, you know, and like state and army that kind of defied him to some extent, but he really ran the place. And of course, anyone who's an American progressive and honestly, most American conservatives really revere FDR. So when you say America needs a new FDR, you're sounding, I think, a little less controversial. Um, but you know, for you, Cenk, um, the person that I would love to talk to you about is uh, Mustafa Kemal, Ataturk. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, what would you say if I said America needs an Ataturk? Yeah, I, I would say that that is probably not the appropriate analogy at this point. Um, and so, uh, you could make that analogy about George Washington before 
we got a constitutional form of government. After we got a constitutional mm-hmm. form of government, then that analogy falls apart. And I certainly don't think that we well, need one now. Well, if you look at the change in the way in what Washington DC went through, you know, between Hoover and FDR, it's almost like a regime change. It's like a different a different system of government almost has been created on top of the old system and it was very, I mean, when I when I try to explain the new deal to like Silicon Valley people, I'm like it was like Washington, but it was a startup. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, what? Like their minds are completely blown by that. Yeah. And and you know, this sort of like old, you know, rotting old Washington that I that I grew up in because my my dad was in the Foreign Service. Like I'm a you know sort of deep state brat. You know, the Washington that I grew up in is kind of the rotting carcass of this amazing, amazing thing that in the 1930s like literally conquered the frickin' world. And you know, I think the best example of that that I know is my mother worked for many years at DOE, the Department of Energy. And the Department of Energy is literally the successor to the most effective engineering project of all time, government project. You might have heard of it, it was called the Manhattan Project. And you know, for like my libertarian friends in Silicon Valley, I'm like, well, if the government can't do things right, then explain the Manhattan Project and they they find that a really hard challenge, but then you know when you look at the inside of the Manhattan Project, it ran exactly like a Silicon Valley startup, right down to having the like technical and the non-technical management. So it's just like it's possible to imagine a Washington that is much much more effective than the Washington we have now, but it always leads up to having basically. A CEO at the top who can effectively reinvent the place. And, you know, I think that that CEO, one of the things that I was saying recently that really disturbed some of my right wing fans is I'm like, that CEO, whoever that is who reorganizes this like giant lecherous mess, doesn't have to be, you're like mad at this, you know, Washington because. You know, Washington is like terrible for right wingers, right? For red for red states. You know, yeah, there's some animosity there, considering as 99% of the people in the deep state are blue staters. But like, the real problem is not the animosity. The real problem is that it just sucks. <laughs> and and so you know that unfucking of it has to be a sort of bipartisan unfucking. It has to be something where. Just by unfucking the whole thing, you almost make the red versus blue conflict really go away. And just imagining an America without like any race wars or class wars or culture wars or whatever, it's like you know if the price I have to pay for that is like America needs an Ataturk, I'm like I'm like give me give me Ataturk. Yeah. Uh, okay. How does let that feel, Sandy Jink? Okay. Let me step it. Okay. So we're gonna come back to the monarchy, the rule of one, the CEO, president, FDR, etc. Uh, but I wanted to first like make sure that, that that is what you meant, and it's obvious from your answer that it yeah. is. Um, and so, it is. but but there's nuance there, and I want to come back to it. Uh, but I want to start yes. at the beginning uh, with your critique of the system overall. Okay, uh, yeah. as, uh, you want to unf the system, as you just said, although probably so. Should so here's hold, here's hold one on, thing. Here's on, one thing. Hold I think. on, hold on. Let me okay, ask okay, the questions, okay. and then we'll. I go won't back try to. I will not try to bully you. Okay. I'm sorry. So um, so you have a critique of the establishment and you call it the cathedral. And that is actually probably yes. a point of agreement that we have. All the things you just said about the monarchy, I don't agree with at all. I wanna be clear to the audience and I'll come back to it. Um, but uh, uh, the cathedral, what is it uh, and what's wrong with it? Go ahead. Excellent, excellent, excellent question. So I, you know, I, um, I think a lot of your listeners left and right would call this, would use a phrase like corporate media. And they would say, what's wrong with the corporate media? And they would say, well, it is clear we can start from a universal belief and agreement that like something is stinky here. Can we agree that something is stinky there? Yeah, absolutely. Like that there's like and a that stinky. We would okay. call it corporate media uh, and we do think it sucks. 
So tell us yeah, what yeah. you think and, it and is. Let me, let me explain my, my theory of why it sucks, which is probably different from your theory of why it sucks. A lot of people when they use the phrase corporate media are basically referring to kind of a power leakage between the corporate structure and the news desk. And I would say that the one place I think that sort of still runs on this like Daily Planet kind of Superman era kind of model is of course, um, you know, the leading uh, newspaper in, in the world, the New York Times, where I think the Salzburgers still have some influence. By the way, you know, for, for everyone out there who considers the New York Times the most reliable source in the world, and it's an amazing, amazing institution, uh, they should note the system of governance that's used at the New York Times. Um, it's actually a fifth generation hereditary monarchy, the Salzburger family. Um, but in any case, if you basically look at the times, I do believe what sort of the like Salzburger barons want is basically reflected in the news desk. If you look at even the Washington Post, which Bezos bought, I don't believe Bezos can tell the news desk what to do at the post. I don't believe that he's really in charge. I believe that he basically sponsors it rather than owns it. And if the Salzburger family was somehow to disappear and the New York Times was to say turn into something like ProPublica, I think it would be, which is completely nonprofit run top tier journalism outfit, I think it would be fine. I think the way that basically the, the, the media, I would call it just the prestige media, which is kind of a neutral term is corrupted um, is a good example might be the um, COVID lab leak question. Which for anyone who on the left who is interested in like unimpeachable left wing sources on why it's pretty obviously a lab link. Um, I think uh, there were a couple of great stories by I think Catherine Bell in Vanity Fair. And there's one, there's a wonderful interview with Nathan J. Robinson, he of, he of the beautiful suits and Jeffrey Sachs. And what happened there from the perspective of the media and the reason why it sort of took people from outside there to bust it up is the relationship between journalists and their sources. And so when you're basically reporting on the like life sciences beat, you have a bunch of people that you talk to in the life sciences, they're your sources, they're the people that matter in the civil service. If you mess with these people, they are bigger than you, you are disposable. The New York Times can always find another journalist. There's a lot of people who want to write for the New York Times. Whereas somebody who's been with CDC for 20 years is like an emperor. He's like more has more job security than Henry VIII, right? And so actually what happens is that these journalists become the prisoners of their sources. So basically when the virology industry does something kind of dumb, like let's go ahead and collect all the bat coronaviruses and then mutate them to be more dangerous dangerous in labs in China, which has no quality control. And sort of what you would expect to have happen after this, there's basically this like, you know, burner phone cover up crazy meeting that happens in January 2020. And all of the journalists on the virology beat have to basically follow, you know, they're they're sort of all guilty. They're all complicit. And the same thing, you know, they all have to follow their sources. They're kind of slaves to to these internal sources. The same is true. You've seen it, you know, all over and over again on the intelligence beat. You'll see these people at the Times, the Post, that are basically creatures of certain agency sources, okay. and you're just like, or yeah. you know, with so, the State Department. So, 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 do we agree that that problem's real? Maybe you don't think it's the biggest problem out there. Yeah. So, uh, are reporters overly reliant on their sources? Definitely. Is it most apparent in the government? Absolutely, the Pentagon is the number one problem there in that regard. If the Pentagon says it, the New York Times will print it. They almost never fact checked government sources. And of course, second biggest problem in my opinion is the corporations, and and you know you held up New York Times as an ideal. Tell me, tell me, tell me how you think it works. Hold on, hold on, hold on, one thing at a time. I'm going. So. Um, it, you held up New York Times as kind of an ideal monarchy. I don't think it's ideal at all. I think it's unaccountable. I think uh, it has massive problems. 
Uh, it smears people uh, that are outsiders all the time. It protects the I, status I wasn't, quo. I wasn't sorry. I wasn't. I wasn't saying it was ideal. Let's okay. not. I'm all right. sorry. Like okay. Don't. Yeah. Okay. So if that's a good, don't if that's an example that. of monarchy, it sucks. Uh, and so, uh, yes. but do I think that access um, is the number one problem? It's a massive problem. No, I do not think it's anywhere near the number one problem. So uh, I can tell you what you I think, think is the, the number the one corporate problem. Corporate corruption. Yeah, tell me, tell me, tell me. Yes, yeah. we can so, at least agree to disagree. Yeah. So, um, what do uh, major for-profit media companies care about? Um, profit. Um, so there, I solved it. I'm a genius. Uh, and it is true of all uh, companies. And when uh, you question the press on it, they get uh, real hurt, and they say, "Oh, are you saying this sounds like a conspiracy theory that our, our giant multi-billion-dollar corporation would like to make money?" Okay, yeah, that's that's my theory. Uh, and so, what do they do? They suck up to their advertisers. Their advertisers are all, almost all corporations, with one giant exception: uh, defense contractors, drug companies, bankers, you name it. So they, uh, but their number one advertiser is not those guys. Their number one advertiser is politicians. Every uh, two years, they dump billions of dollars into mainstream media, and in return. Uh, well, first of all, they got that money from other corporations. The corporations are sponsoring the politicians and the media. And in return, the Faustian bargain that mainstream media does is we will never talk about money in politics. We will not tell you that these politicians are corrupt and collecting millions of dollars of checks from corporations and serving them slavishly. We will pretend that that issue does not exist. And these are honorable gentlemen who are having honest debates. So what is corrupting the media? The answer is obvious, the money. Can I can I can I agree with you about that and 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 disagree in other ways? I feel like that's a critique that is basically very similar to the critiques of sort of pre-prestige journalism that a lot of people made, for example, in the 20s. And I think if you go back at in the 20s and you basically compare the firewall between corporate and the news desk at like prestige, you know, places. I'm talking about, you know, I'm not talking about like Gannett or whatever, right? You know, um, and the like that firewall has sort of only been built up more and more strongly as a matter of custom in the trade of journalism over the last. Uh, you know, 50, 60 years. Moreover, if there's, if for example, like a, like a Facebook is controlling, you know, the New York Times, they must be doing it wrong because I see anti-Facebook stories in there, you know, a hundred times a year, fifty times a year, whatever. So I don't know about. I, I think that more generally, where that critique kind of hits the mark is that one of the things like. Politics has become this kind of, I don't know if you've noticed this, Jenk, but it's become a game show. Have you noticed that a yeah, game show quality has developed out there, right? You know, uh, Led by of some of you your friends, this. but yes, for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, right. And, and, you know, and the thing is that basically the, like, whether that is sort of more proper to kind of, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, like, uh, there is much that is just horrendous about Donald Trump. He's a grifter, but he's also a very talented comedian. And I think it's like, I think our next president should be as funny as Donald Trump. Okay, um, so I and, hear you on that. We actually do talk about that. We think he is oftentimes yeah. unintentionally funny. Uh, he doesn't realize that he's being an idiot and that, that the funny part is how stupid he is. But yes, we do often laugh at what uh, Trump says. We laughed often at what uh, Bush said. Nobody laughs at what anything Biden said. Uh, so I understand that and that's a, a quality that Biden can help you with an election. He, Biden was funnier when he was younger. Biden yeah. was funnier when he was Yeah, I hear but, you. I mean, and he had a lot of gaps that were also unintentionally funny. Uh, by the way, Facebook and New York Times, uh, the New York Times does write anti-Facebook articles all the time because they're competitors. And so New York Times loves to attack. Mm. Uh, new media, uh, YouTube, Facebook. In fact, CNN did this uh, a while back. We showed it on the Young Turks. They uh, smeared YouTube and Facebook. Uh, it's oh my God, you know these yeah. awful people on these online things. You can't trust them at all. And then they sent out their advertising team to tell uh, those same 
sponsors and advertisers don't advertise on YouTube and Facebook, advertise on CNN instead. So yeah, they do yeah, hit jobs, and why is that? that? That's is also connected to the money. So I'm curious though, if you call the cathedral, sure we call it mainstream media or corporate media or establishment media. I laid out I, what, I why the, I, I think they the do it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit, I'm, what I'm, mainly the reason I brought you on is because I wanna understand one another. So why do you think the cathedral or mainstream media does what they do. You're obviously unhappy with them. I think it's money, and I laid out how. Why do? You, what do you think is their purpose? Um, I think that these have become agencies of government that are essentially corrupted by power. I think most people have heard the the great Lord act in line. You know, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I can't really think of anyone that the New York Times is accountable. You know, um, besides Prince Salzburger the the fifth or whatever, because uh, the Salzburger family, you know, is in absolute. It's not Wall Street doesn't control the Times. It's still under family control, which is amazing in the 21st century. Uh, but if you basically say, okay. Let's forget about, you know, here's an exercise you can go through. You can say, where is power located today in Washington? Power is always converged, it's always conserved, always somebody is always in power. So, you know, it may be, it may not be in one point, like in a monarchy, it may be sort of distributed around. I don't think that, you know, many of your readers would believe that we live in anything that in any sense could be called a democracy. So, you know, let's call it what it is, which is an oligarchy. So where in this oligarchy is power located? So here's a thought experiment you can use to answer the question of where is power located? Suppose there are like space Nazis. And the space Nazis want to take over America. And what they can do is implant their little Nazi chips in the brains of like, you know, maybe 5,000 people and get these people to pretend to be like, you know, have their former progressive beliefs or whatever. Really inside, they'll be Nazis and they'll be working for the Fifth Reich or whatever. And the question is who do you put those chips in? And when you've answered the question of who you put the chips in, you've answered the question of who's in power because that's all the Nazis want, they want power. And so if you imagine you say, okay, do I put those chips in people who work at Google or people who work at the New York Times? Well, in that struggle, I'm gonna bet on the New York Times because if the New York Times finds out that Google is full of Nazis, the Nazis will get kicked out of Google. Whereas if the if Google finds out what, like the Times is not accountable to anyone. And that sort of is kind of the definition of sovereignty. Henry VIII was not accountable to anyone. And so the question of when you have these agencies that aren't accountable to anyone, sort of why do they do what they do? Why do they all go in the same direction? You know, why weren't as, you know, part of the, why doesn't the prestige press, what is it sort of, why is its position at year X always somewhere to the left of its position at year like X minus 20? Like I remember the way people wrote about gay marriage in say 1990, it was this wild, crazy idea. And now it's um, obviously here to stay forever, right? And so, you know, but at least ostensibly everyone in 1990 was against it and now they're for it. So that was sort of predictable in a way. Why did that happen? Why did these institutions, and when I say the cathedral, I group together the media and the universities. So there's a case that you could say, well, maybe since the New York Times always trusts Harvard on like, you know, whatever the sciences or whatever, then maybe the Nazis should be at Harvard and the New York Times will just trust it as they kind of, you know, secretly work to bring about the Fifth Reich. But this is sort of a, you know, a thought experiment that says, okay, where is the power located? And when we can see that basically the New York Times has a lot of unaccountable power, then we can start, even though it's not even mentioned in the constitution, right? I would say it's like easily as powerful as the Supreme Court, but it's nowhere in the constitution. So like, how do you basically analyze a system that works that way in terms of basically the real structure of power? Because do you agree with the results of that experiment at least? Like who would, who would, you know, who has power in that sense? Yeah, I know exactly where the chips would go. I know exactly who holds power. But I, and I'm going to- Where would you put them? Where would you put them? I'm going to explain that in one minute. But I, I want to make sure that I understand your answer. 
Are you saying you would put it in academia and, and in the media that, that that's where the power actually lies? I think that you would spread it around between academia, the media, and kind of the highest levels of the civil service. If you wanted to basically Nazify, like, say, disease control, you'd basically pick about 20 virologists. You'd say Dr. Fauci, maybe Dr. Fauci's staff. You'd say maybe the people on Congress in, in on the Hill that help fund Dr. Fauci. They're sort of all spread around in order for the whole sort of system to work. You know, you need people spread around between the media, academia, and the civil service. Yeah. All of which are areas from which like no force can dislodge them. Yeah, and they're not these these circles, these loops are just not. Virology isn't accountable to anyone. Like I don't expect you to come out and say I agree that there was a lab leak. I know it's controversial, right? But the thing is, if there was a lab leak, or even if it was possible that it was a lab leak, heads should roll, and they're not gonna roll because there's yeah. nobody that can make them roll. Yeah, that's why I'm okay. a monarchist. So by the way, <laughs> uh, yeah, by the way. I think the chance there was a lab leak is very high, just to be clear. Yeah. Um, so okay, okay. Um, so now, you mentioned academia, civil service, and media. Media is partly true in my view of the world, but it misses the mark a little bit. Academia and civil service, I think you're hilarious, and I like, and I know that Steve Bannon believes it, and Blake Masters and JD Vance, and they're talking about the acronym. But man, I grew, up, I, grew, I grew up in the civil service. Like my yeah. my my mother, father, and stepfather were in were in the deep state for a total. I mean, yeah. I love the term because it's a Turkish term, of course. We're in the deep state for a total of like 80 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, that's yeah. I don't know. That's nope. what I saw, man. Nope, uh, to, total nonsense. Okay, so let me explain. Um, so uh, the academia and civil service have almost no power at all. Uh, the the people that uh, you put the chips in, the the people who hold the power are super obvious. The donors, it's the donor class, and so the incredibly wealthy, and but much more importantly, corporate executives. So you put you take over the corporate executives that are donating to the politicians. You'll have the country, and you'll have the world, and you don't have to worry about civil service or media or. Any of those things at all, super easy. Politicians, first of all, other than Trump, and and so that's an interesting oddball case and part of why the establishment hates him. The other part is because he's a lunatic and a madman and an idiot. But anyway, so it's a complicated character. But minus Trump, almost and minus Bernie Sanders, and what I and I would say the Justice Democrats, 95% of politicians are. Servants, they're butlers, they're maids, yeah. they're busboys. Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, there's just, there's a line, there's there's a speech that Putin made where you know I don't know I, I'm not a Putin fan. I think my opinion of Putin is approximately the same as the New York Times' opinion of Putin, right? I'm not a Putin fan, but you know, there's there's a there's a line where he's talking about American politics and he's like, okay, you know, you get elected and then the guys in suits and briefcases come in and you know tell you what to do and what to say. I mean, ultimately. You have to say that um, you know there's a there's a funny question I always ask people, which is that um, to compare the words politics and democracy because ostensibly they mean the same thing, but like politics is bad and democracy is good, and like yeah, explain I, I how can that explain can be. that too. It's, it's so so yeah, um, let me keep um, going though you to, know, to answer your question. Okay, Hold on, please. So please. Um, look, the media are also largely servants. And so, how can I prove that? The Salzburgers are a dynasty. They've okay gone through all the generations. You're right about that. Now, having said that, if you take away their the ads to the New York Times, they're done for. The Salzburger dynasty ends instantly. Especially five years ago when they were less reliant on subscriptions. They're doing. They're more they're reliant on on advertising. So and and. New York Times is now much more subscription. You know who it else? Flipped, you know who else but by the way, on? hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me finish. Okay. okay. Uh, but uh, the overwhelming majority of the mainstream media relies on advertising. And who are the advertisers? Giant corporations. So corporations give to the media. They give to politicians. The politicians also give to media. So who pulls the strings? Obviously, the guys giving the money. They're the ones who are the bosses, and the politicians and the media work for them. The civil service and academia is one thousand percent irrelevant. They have nothing to do with money. There, no one would ever listen to them if the money didn't agree. The only time that academia and 
civil service become relevant is when the money agrees with them and likes their groupthink and then uses their groupthink as an excuse to do what money wanted to do in the first place. So how in the world would a professor have any kind of power? The only time he, and by the way, if he doesn't agree with the establishment, as you rightly point out, he's goner. He's, and he's not gonna be well, there, if you, if you, same if you with the civil service. But if you agree with the money and you agree with the group think, then all of a sudden all things flow. So you go to the let top. Me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you a story, which is that my mother in the 90s worked at DOE doing budget and policy and environmental efficiency. And she worked for a guy named Joe Rome, who was, I believe still, he's kind of the Dr. Fauci of global warming. Nobody knows who he is. And basically, when you look at all, like, if you think of the university as sort of kind of like a fixed star in the world, you might not realize, for example, basically how I'm not saying it is wrong to change, to care about climate change. I'm just talking about how it was engineered. And um, what you saw, if you sort of saw that kind of industry developing from the inside at DOE is that it was very similar to the virology industry. And so if you look, for example, at um, a, a climate change researcher by the name of Michael Mann, M-A-N-N, same name as the um, heat director, which is awesome. Uh, you'll find that he's quoted in the New York Times approximately 5,000 times or something like that. And so when you're looking at basically changing and I remember, I'm so old that I remember in the 80s when we had this huge heat wave and everyone started caring about um, the greenhouse effect, which the math of the greenhouse effect has been known for 100 years, right? But it was possible to make people care about it. And it was possible to make people care about it because the media and academia were all on the same page. And whether you can say that they were right or they were wrong about that, there you can clearly imagine if you basically don't consider academia as infallible, if you consider that it can be corrupted by power, um, it's certainly academia running the models that say, oh, this is gonna happen to the world in 2050. And so, you know, you might not see that as power, but I see that as something that changes the world around me all the time. Yeah, no, it's just a tool. Both academia yeah. and think tanks are just tools that were set up. Lewis Powell wrote about, hey, let's set up think tanks so we could fool people into thinking that the corporate positions are popular. So, and then that was probably the goal of the Ford Foundation. I think they had, you know, Henry Ford II was. Very mad at how sort of that got out of his hands because there he intended the Ford Foundation to be a right wing foundation, which I think right. is probably not the way you would describe it now. And then the Coke <laughs> Enterprises funding professors all across the country to put out their sure. garbage that helps Coke Industries and their profit interests. So look, I I think we're clear on who we think have power. I'm not overly persuaded by what you said, but. Uh, but let's go to the original topic, which is monarchy, because it's going to connect the two. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, it has to. It has to connect. So, Curtis, can you give me? Can you tell me how you feel about Ataturk? Are you an Ataturk? You know, do you yeah. stand Ataturk? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, for the folks at home that don't know who Mustafa Kemal Ataturk is, he's the founder of Turkey, and amazing uh, man. Yeah. Amazing so, man. Yeah, he, he is. Uh, but. So Ataturk is a person, as with everyone, that has nuance. So he was a brilliant military leader. He is studied at West Point. Turkey at the time was the former Ottoman Empire, was occupied by six different nations, and Ataturk beat them all back and beat the Greeks as well. So beat then the he gained the trust of the of the Turkish nation, and and then he transitioned Turkey into a secular democracy. In the transition. He did some things that were authoritarian, and I assume that that's like changed the alphabet. That changed right. the goddamn alphabet. He's yes. like, "Hey Turks, you know how to read? No, you don't." Amazing. I mean, yeah. And okay, like, but and, and but is, he transitioned to a okay. secular democracy, and the reason he had to do that transition was because it was a culture that was based on an Islamic caliphate, and so that is a lot of culture to change in a short period of time. And it was after war, and he had the implicit consent. Of the of the people. If you question out of yes. Turkey at the time, it wasn't that he was going to kill you. It was that the Turkish people loved him so much 
they would have let him pretty much do anything he wants. So yes. now that's a conversation about other Turks. But when we're talking about America, America is not a country that is not yet settled. Turkey, what is now known as Turkey, used to be the Ottoman Empire, then it was occupied, then it became the Republic of Turkey. There is no such you transition need, you, here in America. We're knee deep in this government that's been around for a long time. There was, think, in, in a sense, a palace think, coup back in 1978, which we can talk about. Uh, but I can get to a transition without a monarch. Uh, but when you say monarch, Curtis, the number one question I have is, of course, another word for that is dictator. How would you know whether mm -hmm. the monarch or the dictator is going to listen to you or to anyone else? Why couldn't he just then say, "Oh, thank you for all the power. I'll take it all for myself. And by the way, Curtis, you've got all these annoying ideas that, that people rally around. I don't want people rallying around you, I want them rallying around me. And he uh, kills you and he moves on. He's a monarch, he can do anything he wants. So the great, the great, you know, the thing about monarchy when it works, you know, first of all, you know, the form of government that I believe in is what I would call an accountable monarchy. And there's a lot of ways to do an accountable monarchy, but you know, the simplest one is to basically reduce your sort of commitments to overwatching politicians as to say, let's recognize the reality here. We as Americans care about exactly one election, which is the presidential election. And because Washington is such a sack of shit, what, sorry, um, you'll have to believe that. Because Washington is so decayed. What we need is to basically have a CEO there. And what we're gonna trust is that whoever wins the election is whoever has the confidence of the people to be the CEO of Washington. And by the way, if you read the Constitution, you know, the Constitution is actually totally more than tolerant of this form of government. It says right there that the president is the chief executive of the executive branch. And yet, you know, as we use the word, and they meant the word chief executive as we use it in the private sector. And the president doesn't, doesn't matter if he's a Republican or a Democrat, he doesn't have one thousandth of a control of the so-called executive branch that a private sector CEO has. Okay, it's but it's really curse, curse, controlled by you. Congress. And so 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 what you're what you're basically saying is I'm saying, okay, you know, make sure you have a system where the people still evaluate the president's work every four years. Make him accountable to the voters and just put him in charge of the goddamn government. Isn't that a democracy? I thought you were arguing against Yeah, that. it is. It is a it, well, it's a democracy in which democracy puts forward a monarch rather than putting forward policies. And most okay. people and think so of a democracy in, in terms of then, voting on policies. I understand. Yes. I understand. But in those four years, yeah. then, if he is truly a monarch and he's unaccountable, Again, he could execute anyone he likes. He could end the elections. He could do anything he, he wants. He sure could. And so, and so, what you, what you, what you really, he sure could. And um, of course, ending the elections is, you know, I mean, the Supreme Court could end elections tomorrow, right? Uh, they have the same they're level of absolute to. power. Granted, they're nine people rather than uh, one, but they have been uh, acting a little erratic lately. <laughs> um, they could cancel the election. They could say, "Hey, Donald Trump is still president," right? They have that sovereignty, and he, you know, they could have pinned down that decision, and he could walk into the freaking White House. That is not going to happen. And so, what you're looking at when you look at a monarchy is you're looking at a situation in which essentially the goals of the monarch are aligned with the goals of the public. And do you have to be lucky in picking that first monarch? To some extent you do. You gotta get you lucky, to that's your you best plan? You have to fucking get it right. Okay, so wait, Curtis, I'm being serious. Uh, sorry, really, you think, you think yes. your best plan is let's hope we pick the right dictator and get lucky. Absolutely. I think that's better than what we have now, I th and I think Turkey did fine with that. No, and and and, and Rome elections. in the days of the Caesars did fine with that. They also had elections. Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So Curtis and and they ended look. Up. This is nuts, and so this is why I'm worried that Teal, with his billions of dollars and masters and and Vance, uh, are listening to these kind of ideas. I get your frustration see, with see, the cathedral. I, I think that if you have I, if 
if you had to categorize, if you had to, let me let me stop you right there because if you had to categorize the way in which most people, you know, I, I totally respect you're like, okay, this sounds nuts to me, right? I completely respect it. It's wonderful. I'm sure it's true of most of your audience. That's fine, you know. Um, what we believe probably sounded pretty nuts 200 years ago as well. Um, but if you had to go and say how to sort of all of these people agree or disagree with me, I would say actually that they're kind of just like you. They sort of see the critique and they think the critique has resonance. None of the solutions that I'm talking about are like remotely practical in the world that we exist in. And I'll give you an example. Axios was just talking about a plan to do this schedule F thing in the so-called next you know, Trump administration. And it's like, it, inconceivably radical by the standards of Washington. It would cause like huge chaos and warfare all across these agencies. And from my perspective, it's like completely useless and it wouldn't work at all. So, you know, if 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 these people, if you think these people are following my advice or my lead or taking my directions, like you're you're like very, very wrong about that. And hopefully well, that, you know, will like ease some of your fears. No, but I see Steve Bannon and he talks about exactly the I don't know, I've never, you know, somebody made up this story that I know Steve Bannon and yeah. in like, and and I've never met or interacted with Steve Bannon in any way, shape okay, or form. Okay, that, that's and fair. When you, when, and, and now, when, when now you look we know at that. Like, when you look but at he like does quote you, Curtis, you know that, right? I mean, he quotes I, rage, which is I get would, rid of all the government employees. And he talks sure, about bringing in the stormtroopers. And Steve Bannon has Donald Trump's ear. Is it possible that Steve Bannon would again be a very think, central figure Bannon, in Donald Bannon, Trump's all, I don't, second I don't term? Hold on, Bannon hold on, has, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay. Is it possible that Steve Bannon would be a very critical player in Donald Trump's second term? Of course it's possible. And and he, and he it's not just him, a lot of these figures, including the guys you do know, are talking about it, Blake Masters said it. Yeah, he also said rage, that's the acronym for getting rid of all the civil service employees, etc. Well, it is practical. You said, oh, it's no big deal because it's not practical. If Donald Trump wins, he already showed you he doesn't want to, he doesn't like democracy, he doesn't want democracy, he doesn't, and if he loses an election, he doesn't want to leave office. So there, bingo, there, you got your dictator. And now he's got all these people around him who say, get rid of everybody in the civil service and let there be a ruler of one. And it's a ruler of one. And in that case, Donald Trump is the mad king. So is that the future we have to look forward to? That sounds insane. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the problem, Jenk. Is is that it's like the like the new trend in DC is to you know politics is a game show, okay? It's a game show, and you know what I'm talking about could not exist as a game show. It can't happen as a game show, and and it has to be this extremely real thing and it can't happen in the sort of one-sided like oh here's the you know my friend Michael Anton likes to talk about like the red caesar versus the blue caesar i'm like it has to be the purple caesar it can't fucking or it can't happen at all and the um uh, and like if it would be the red Caesar or the blue Caesar, it'll be the blue Caesar. It'll be the next FDR. It doesn't I would matter, love to Curtis. See. He could start out as purple, yellow, or green. No, but I would Curtis, love come on. Obama powers of FDR. No, Curtis. So it, once again, FDR completely different. So uh, he he won four elections. No one's been more confirmed as sure. a person that had the consent of the government than FDR did. I, absolutely, but even he I don't was believe not, that you can. Yeah, and he, but he was not an emperor. He was not a CEO. He was not a monarch. He tried to pack the courts. He couldn't do it. Uh, he he. By the way, he had an expansive progressive ideology that is far more progressive than Bernie Sanders or anything that's around today. And he wanted to get. Uh, he thought people should have a right to be free of want altogether. That they had mm -hmm. economic rights. And by the way, he couldn't pass those. He only got Social Security. He didn't get those things that he wanted. So he had some degree of accountability. Earlier when yeah, you talked yes, about yes, he had um, he, he did he did he did. And 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 when he basically tried to establish truly absolute power, he couldn't. But still the difference between the powers of FDR and the powers of Joseph Robinette Biden as an order of magnitude at least, and I would say two. No, and, and, and Curtis, you're wrong about that too. Biden has tremendous power, Trump had tremendous power. They're just choosing not to use it. So a relatively modern <sighs> president who used their power was Lyndon Baines Johnson. 
And so Lyndon Johnson knew how to use his power and he knew carrots and sticks. To give, to be fair to Trump, he knows carrots and sticks too. He just does it for his own purposes and doesn't do it for the people at all. Biden could do sticks on mansion cinema, he's choosing not to. But, but in a sense, he is using his power because Biden is a tool of his corporate donors. His corporate donors want the status quo and nonstop corporate pork pass. And what have they gotten? The status quo and nonstop corporate pork pass. So Biden has used his power in a subtle way. Yeah. But it's not that no, he doesn't I, I, have I like, it. I like I like like I, I think it's important to like recognize like where I agree with you on this like DNC Clinton Foundation type corruption because it's like can't you at least get the carried interest loophole like you know gone like there's all this stuff where you're just like wow I see uh, wow I didn't know this was the Progressive Party of Progressive hedge funds right you know <laughs> and and like that's a real thing I think that you know. Those things are very circumscribed to the self-interest of those donors. So I still impute less importance to that than you do. But I mean, if you look at Clinton Foundation contributions, you know, while there are Clintons in office versus while there are no Clintons in office, it's just like this is just like this like highway of like filthy cash, right? And then Curtis, let me just make sure Trump that we're on the he's, same page though. So I concede all that, I don't concede it. I'm the ones who, who I'm the guy who points sure. out the corruption of the Clintons and Biden and Obama and you name it. But you also agree that the Republican Party, uh, I mean, the Ted Cruz is a diseased foul Rubio's organism. It's a massively corrupt. foul organism. It's a diseased foul organism. And, and the, uh, of course, now the Republican Party is sort of splitting into two organisms. One is this diseased foul organism earlier, like someone um, someone on Twitter used the phrase typical Republican social life and it was very disturbing. And like, you know, the, the GOPE as some call them and you know, the Mitch McConnell people and uh, there's just absolutely nothing good I can say about these people. Um, and then you have, you know, Trump world, which, I think there are some people around Trump world who are somewhat serious about reinventing government in some ways. I would be very surprised to see them accomplish anything more than like chaos and like strife and you know. I mean, do you know who did the most for the revenues of the New York Times in the last like six years? Donald, Donald Trump. John Trump, yeah. exactly. Okay, and when I say but, that everyone and everyone in a clue, they like understand. And this is like yeah. why this like, okay. this like clown world shit is just not cool. And so okay. when my rhetoric gets used for like this like clown world shit, I'm like, okay, but like, come on, like you're in clown world. But okay, so Curtis, let's try to wrap up on this. So okay. uh, you say there's the disease portion of the Republican Party. I say the, the same thing about the Democratic Party. And those are the great majorities of both of those parties. My thesis- yes. let, let, me, let, me, let me be clear, the rest is diseased also. Okay, right? yeah. um, but I got you, I got yes. you. And yes. my thesis is because uh, they're taking corporate uh, campaign donations and oftentimes physical money to their family members. Chuck Schumer's got a lobbyist son-in-law and daughter and Orrin Hatch had one and and all the sure. Republicans have it, all the Democrats have it. They're all getting paid and they're getting the campaign contributions and they're doing exactly what the donors want. And that's and why they're the quote unquote diseases, you want to keep. This is, this is the way right. you like it. This uh, is and the, so now right. you say, okay, hold on, let me finish. So we agree on yeah. the main problem with the Democratic and Republican parties in our government as it is. So the yeah. your solution is a splinter group in the Republican Party that pushes for a CEO or monarch or what I would call a dictator as as the solution. My ideally, group, ideally, hold on, ideally, hold on, see hold on. And my splinter group, you, I'll, I'll let you get to it. Uh, my splinter group says, um, yeah, instead of doing a corporate corruption and instead of doing a dictatorship, why don't we stop letting the politicians take private money? Once they take private money, they're gonna work for private interests. Why not take public money and work for in the public interest? Which by the way, is exactly the system we had under FDR. And that's why it worked because and, and that's why it was accountable, had a democracy, but it actually served the people. Well, FDR, FDR was kind of a campaign boss and you know he did a lot of interesting things to get that solid majority in the house. He certainly did LBJ like things. And you know, of course, we all know the the you know the record of LBJ, who you mentioned earlier. I think that honestly, 
I have an answer to that question and you're not gonna like the answer to that question. I think that basically the reasons why politicians have had the powers of government taken away from them is the same reason monarchs had the powers of government taken away from hereditary monarchs, ancien regime monarchs had the powers of government taken away from them. I think they're too weak to hold on to those powers. And I think that because of that weakness, you know, Congress just it sort of delegates to the civil service, it delegates to activists and lobbyists. It's, you know, not only do Congress people not write their legislation, the staff doesn't even write the legislation. It basically comes from this sort of iron triangle world. And so expecting these sort of kind of conduits to sort of resume control and give it back to the people, you know, these are people who they're not statesmen, they're like petty town bureaucrats. They got their position because people voted for them on the basis of how many lawn signs they have. Nobody really cares about representative or Senate elections anymore. It's bare, it's almost just a party ID thing. And that's sort of the basis on which people voted for them. They spend all their day doing like fundraising, whatever. They don't think about who to vote for or whatever. You know, my stepfather actually, he worked on the Hill for many years. He was a, he worked in the Senate. He actually worked for Biden for a while. And I asked him once, I was like, Charlie, was there ever a time in, a, in the Senate when you heard a senator making a speech on the floor? And another senator in the audience was so impressed that he changed his mind and then his vote. And my stepfather was like, eh. Maybe it happened once, I never heard of it. you know. And so this isn't even a functioning legislative body. And so to say that you're sort of gonna give power back to these people and through these people, you know, the voters, the voters are like more apathetic than ever in American history. You're just trying to basically give power to something that like it or not is inherently kind of weak and doesn't really want that level of power. That's why it would be sort of like giving the throne of England back to Elizabeth II. She doesn't know what to do with it. She'd give it right back to her own like Whitehall deep state. Okay. Right. She's not Elizabeth the first, even though on paper she has those same powers. And right. so when you say like Biden doesn't use his powers, like yeah, sort of nobody's really tested like since Nixon really what it would mean to go to like say, okay, no, we're gonna have a real chief executive in the White House. Okay. And I would love to see it be a Democrat. All right, so we're, we're out of time. We're actually half an hour over time. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, and we didn't get to a lot of topics we massively disagree on, including race. Uh, but I wanted yes. to have this conversation to air out our different opinions. And my last point to, to uh, answer your question uh, that you posed there is no, in, in 1976 and 1978, the Supreme Court led by Lewis Powell, uh, legalized bribery in America. Uh, they allowed corporations to give and wealthy individuals to give unlimited money to politicians, uh, and that destroyed our democracy. So yes, the politicians today are incredibly weak because they're just servants. Uh, they're waiting for their order uh, orders from their donors. And so, uh, but if you had democracy back, well, pre 1976, you had LBJ, JFK, FDR, all incredibly strong. All worked for the 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 governed. All ease, uh, or, you know. FDR reelected four times. JFK intensely popular, etc. And so that was a functioning democracy. What ruined it is the bribery. America became the most corrupt nation on earth because we don't just do under the table bribes. We legalize bribery. You end the bribery, you bring democracy back. That's, in my opinion, a thousand times better idea. Then let's pick a purple dictator and cross our fingers and hope he doesn't execute there us. Because Curtis, I would be second on the list. Even if you got your right wing dictator, you'd be first on the list. They first take I, out the people next to them this country that could have power. Is so hosed that it might well be worth it. And let me give you the last word on that, Jenk. And this was hugely fun. Let's do it again sometime. All right, Curtis Yarwin, you can find him at Gray Mirror. Thank you for That's, joining us. Thank you.